Candyman, Candyman 2021. In honor of Candyman being the newest film to vacate 2020, what movie still on the books is next to ditch a 2020 theatrical run for VOD or 2021? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and I'm going with Pixar's Soul, because Disney will probably want to see what happens if they put on Disney Plus a movie that doesn't cause a geopolitical debate. Damn. I am, uh, I'm Matt Patches, and I'm going to say Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, a movie that people don't even realize is supposed to come out in December, so certainly will not. Hey, it's me, Dave, for the Seven, and Black Widow, because I still think you need to get that out before the year is over, and theaters ain't it. Uh, and I'm David Ehrlich, and I'm going to go with Dune, which I suspect will be bumped the beginning of next summer, and they will release Dune part two, the Dunedin or whatever the sequel is called at the end of the summer for Christmas. So do like a June, December thing. Whoa. Matrix revolutions. Yeah. Yeah. We all know how well that turned out. Did they make a second one already? (laughs) I believe so. I don't know. That's a nice thing to have in the bank. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine. I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good. Then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's It's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room, episode 317. It's Pandemic 27 because guess what? I still haven't seen Tenet. Uh, And it's uh, the week of Wednesday, September 16th, 2020. Happy birthday to my mom and uh, happy birthday to Arnold Schwarzenegger or happy citizenship day because on on this day in 1983, he became a U.S. citizen. That's true. Congratulations, Arnold. Yeah, good for him. Uh, And then he was governor like 20 years later, which is wild. Um, That was weird. That was was weird. That was weird. Why? A lot of I mean, people ran for governor. They, like, things it have only just, gotten weirder since then, so I don't know. It was just it, such, like, an, there was such commotion. Like, so many in people In hindsight, it almost governor. seems normal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all things true. considered, it turned out okay, given, you know, everything else. It's only weird it's when you done. go back in time long enough where it's, again, in the distant future. Like, we watched Commando the other night, and that made it weird again, at least for the 90 minutes mm. that we were watching Commando. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hear that we have uh, reviews, but we're going to limit it to one uh, in case we're boring people. Uh, yes. So I, make I, it a good one, David. What happened, just for, for those of you who are just tuning in or need a reminder, previously on Fighting in the War Room review segment, uh, Dave's life was in danger. It was threatened by the <laughs> lack of reviews. And uh, because of a groundswell of worldwide support for Dave, uh, we then had more reviews than we really had time to read in this segment. And some of our listeners did not take kindly to that. Uh, and so for the time being, we are going to just be reading one review at the top of the show. But please do not let that stop you from submitting reviews to us on iTunes. For one thing, we need reviews to read. Uh, but we will eventually get to all of them for sure. Uh, and uh, out of spite, we will not be reading Bert288's review, who says, Dear God, please ditch the review segment. Um, <laughs> and then we, but we are honoring their request. Uh, but as people promised, have that in, like skip ahead 30 seconds button that they I, do. Yes, I don't know. Yeah. Liberally during What the Fuck? No, I, That's you know, how like, I. In defense of Bert288, shit's hard right now. You know, like. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I don't have as much podcast time as I used to. But it's not even that. It's just like any anything is kind of psychic violence that it requires for you. <laughs> any action that you have to take that's just the bare minimum of staying alive is uh, is a little bit beyond the pale. Well, so I get where you're coming from, Bert288, even though I refuse to read your 
four-star review. Uh, but I did promise in last week's episode, for those of you who are eagle-eyed or eared, paying close attention, that I would read Grace and Luke's review, and I intend on honoring that promise right now, who says, best podcast outro ever. Thoroughly enjoyable weekly listen, and here's why. Love Dave Seven's music breaks and chill attitude. Don't always agree with David, but that's cool. What's a war room without the fighting? Maybe less talking over the host, though? My what to watch next... Shut the fuck up, Katie. My what to watch next <laughs> list is often informed by Katie's thoughtful exploration of the chosen performances. Patch's takes are like a box of birdie bots every flavor beans. You might get marshmallow on one, but the next could be earwax. Uh, it's a lot worse than earwax, my friends, but... I, I take your point. Lastly, they have the best outro of any podcast, bar none. This review, exceedingly helpful. And you know what? Bert 288 your review was uh, helpful as well. I think that cannot be denied. Uh, if you are out there listening to the show, please, please go on iTunes. Leave us a review. We will read them one at a time for now. On the show, we will get to you, Boo Radley 2785, the new staunch character. Uh, and uh, also a quick note. We are now, thanks to the efforts of one Dave Gonzalez, whose life, for the kindness of our hearts, and you as well, have spared, uh, now on Spotify. You can, at long last, find Fighting in the War Room on Spotify if, for some reason, that is something that sounds appealing to you. iTunes kind of blows, but I like people listening here because it makes it more liable for them to read reviews, or leave reviews, rather. Uh, but, yeah. Does Spotify have reviews? I don't think they so. They must, right? Really? No. It, I mean, the fact that iTunes reviews have the hold they do on podcasts still is kind of insane, which I know other people have talked about, but I'm not sure we're going to be the ones to change that system. Well, yeah, you could review, it you could review Spotify the app. City Hall. <laughs> uh, you can review Spotify the app. But anyway, thank you all. Uh, talk to you next week. Ka-chow. Do you want to, are you starting the segment or are we just talking? Uh, very, very meta already. <laughs> but <laughs> how is it that you and I are both in Toronto and yet simultaneously mm. in our homes in uh, North Carolina and Brooklyn, respectively? It's truly the magic of physics and time travel and the uh, TIFF Digital Cinema Pro platform, which I have not experienced a virtual film festival before, but I think is working like decently well given how buggy i expected uh the entire online film festival experience to be what is it like uh, within the, 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 the limit of things they can control uh the the virtual platform seems to be good and my complaints with it are uh, such of the nitty-gritty quibble variety that i think it would bore anyone to tears to listen about them but the tv app yeah, I mean, should it's like actually a, say the name of the movies that's <laughs> i had to get that it's out. like yeah like it, yeah the apple tv app just shows you like pictures of the movie and you have to like click on it to figure out what it is but it's like r- more to, like, or like, less a netflix Google interface image every single movie to figure out what i mean not that though yeah well, I guess, but I you guess log in and it tells you it tells you which titles you have, and it's like uh, they, they, a lot of them expire within 48 hours, which is, uh, you know, challenging. And normal people but, could know. do this. I mean... No. So the whole thing with TIFF so this year, which privilege. makes it... Okay, this is our press access. Like, if you're in, if you're in Great, Canada, there is a whole setup that I don't, I don't know anything about because I'm not in Canada. Like, most of the films at TIFF are geo-blocked within Canada for regular people. So, I would imagine that the uh, all films should be that way. 
Uh, all I imagine it's pretty similar. If you're similar, if you're a Canadian moviegoer, yeah, it comes with an a la carte <laughs> screening price, right? Where you yeah, I would love to hear from anyone listening to this. Um, who was watching these as just a regular moviegoer. But yes, it does make TIFF this year a much more of a niche experience. I mean, every year David and I go and we tell you about all the movies that you're not going to be able to see for a year. Or, you know, in the case of last year, there's probably something I saw there that still hasn't come out because of the pandemic. Um, so, but it's also a smaller list. Like, there's only 50 titles this year. Um, I've managed to see about 10 movies, which, uh, I don't know, is pretty good given that, like, I'm in my house with my children and didn't spend the weekend watching eight movies, which I would usually do. 10 out of 50, um, that's... Uh... 20, you know, 20%? Is that 20%? 20%? I want to say 20%. Uh, yes! Yeah, a lot of a lot of math majors around here. Um, I mean, I think if we're going to talk about individual titles, like I I would think the obvious starting point is Nomadland, which you would, I imagine Dave and Patches that is one of the ones you've heard about. It won the top prize at Venice. Um, it is coming out from Fox Searchlight in October. We know that we will see it somehow. Um, you know, they did a drive-in screening for it in LA, so you can kind of imagine it playing there. Um, I thought this movie was wonderful. I'm really excited for people to see it. I don't want to overly talk about it, but David, I'm pretty sure you're a fan too. Uh, tell, yeah, tell us I what mean, it is. It, what is I, we don't. What, what well, I was going to let know. David. I was going to let David tell you. Oh, okay. Well, I believe I that the the reason that I can pronounce the filmmaker's last name with confidence is thanks to, if not Katie, someone else who was tweeting about it today. But uh, Chloe, uh, Rebecca Keegan. Yeah, Rebecca Keegan wrote about it in a profile in the Hollywood Reporter, and I was. Uh, I it's it's her name is spelled Z H A O, and I was saying Zhao. Uh, as a you know American white person, and apparently it's truly Josh, shameful. Know we know. Uh, Chloe, I know. Chloe Jaw, who uh, you may know is the director of Songs My Brother Taught Me, and more recently and more prominently, the writer uh, has made a very writer esque movie starring Frances McDormand as an itinerant woman who lives in a uh, before the movie starts the zip code i mean this is i was making a joke about this on twitter after i saw it uh is truly the best movie ever made to open with a title card about the reduced demand for sheet rock uh, but this is uh, mm-hmm. about a woman well, this is a, a movie based on a book uh, a non-fiction book i should say and a lot of the actual characters as per um chloe jaw's sort of docu-realist approach are the real people. They, they play sort of semi-fictionalized versions of themselves. Francis McDormand and David Strathairn being obvious exceptions. But uh, before the movie starts, uh, her husband has died and the zip code where they lived has basically been disbanded because there are not enough people in there anymore once the factory where they work has shut down. Uh, and so she hits the road. It doesn't feel right living in her house anymore. Um, that's where her she had her life with her husband, and he's not around. And so she goes off in search of America in a way. It takes place right after the Great Recession in 2008. Um, it is uh, very much about the sort of economic condition of America and the spiritual elements of that, um, increasingly the uh, logistical elements of that. Uh, it starts with her but it's also about someone... at an Amazon factory. Sorry, yes, go on. It's just also about someone making the choice to live the way that she does more yeah. like less so than like someone being like forced down on their luck. Like obviously that's part of it, but it's not exactly an optimistic movie, but it's about kind of like rugged individualism in, in a way. Like I it really look seeing it again. By any stretch yeah. And I, I, I look forward to being able to see it and kind of more directly compare it to a Western, which kind of near the end of the movie, I started realizing that was what it was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all set out in the West. Um, and like so it, it's about like, a lot of the way that like Logan's a Western. 
<laughs> I mean, That's right. I am pretty sure it's nothing like Logan, but I don't remember Logan that well. Um, yeah, Secret Western. It's a whole letterbox genre, I'm sure. Um, but I think it makes it a much more interesting movie. It's not about being like, wow, look at what these people and how they're living. It's these people, like you said, David, many of them, the real people being like, I love this life. Like I was, you know, living for retirement. And now here I am in my RV traveling America and seeing, you know, the, the landscapes are photographed so beautifully. Um, and, you know, when you've spent the last six months entirely in your house, it's, I think it's maybe even more appealing. Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the main tension of the movie, at least as far as Francis McDormand's character goes is sort of in that dynamic between, is she running for something or is she running from something or is she trying to find something? Uh, and where that yeah. sort of tug of war, finding some equilibrium between it. Uh, and it's really emotionally affecting. Francis McDormand is great, but I think pivotally not great in it, it's, it's a sharp 180 turn away from the character rather noxious character that everyone was in uh, three billboards outside of Ebbings, Missouri. Um, this is a still uh, like a, a, a sharp woman uh, who speaks her mind and has always been since she was a little kid, kind of eccentric and marched to the beat of her own drum. But there's a real openness and warmth of the character, even if um, she's more stubborn than even she might wish to be. It's a great scene of her looking mightily uncomfortable holding a baby at one point that resonated with me. <laughs> uh, great David Strathairn porn for the Strathaniacs. Oh my God, David Strathairn. Holy shit. I didn't think I was a Strathaniac until this movie. So <laughs> get ready for that, everybody. Um, uh, anyway, yeah. I... Dave and Patches, I assume you guys have heard enough about this movie to be at least somewhat curious about it. Yeah, I got a New York Film Festival ticket to it, so I'm going to get to oh, see it. Oh, nice! That digitally premieres for a couple of hours. I should. I should wow, you get to tell us that. what that digital movie going experience oh, is. Oh like. yeah, I think it'll either be that. I got two. I got Nomadland, and I think I got Red, White, and Blue. The uh, one, one of the, the Stephen uh, Queen, Queen, um, yeah. yeah, Amazon. That's one yeah, of the that's, Steve yeah. McQueen. New York Film Festival will start in a couple of weeks. Um, We'll get there. I we'll guess get there. The same format <laughs> yeah, yeah, stuff yeah. I know. Um, uh, what else did you see at this festival virtually that you responded to? I mean, I would say the other like slap bang great movie I've seen is American Utopia, yeah. which I think you would agree with me on. And that again is something that um, everyone will be able to see, or everyone with HBO will be able to see soon. It debuts on HBO in October. Um, not too long from now. Um, it's Spike Lee's film version of David Byrne's Broadway show called American Utopia. It is this fan, like fascinating, like sister film to stop making sense. But like I rewatched stop making sense over the weekend. Like it's pretty different. And I don't, I don't even know if I can like define why. And I didn't review this. So I'm glad I didn't have to like put my finger on it, but, um, it's just, it's so wonderful. It's so nice to see a real live show. It's so hopeful and energetic and like stop making sense. It makes the act of playing music just look like the most fun, exciting thing you could possibly do with all the people around you. Um, I loved it so much. I did review it. I did try to put my finger on it. I, by no means, uh, am assuming that I was successful, but I, uh, <laughs> I do want to echo everything that Katie said just about the joy of watching him. Mean, it really is uh, like an 105 minute vacation from the world of shit that we're all living in right now. Um, but it's also very much about that. I mean, it's not pure escapism. This is a movie that is sort of tackling the, uh, spiritual crisis for lack of a better term that is facing all of us right now it is very much a movie of its time meant to be watched before this election which it explicitly references um yeah he uh, he has people set up to register you to vote in the lobby of this show so mm -hmm. you know I, wish a, that, I hope hb I, I hope hbo like sets up like a pop-up window being like that be amazing if you could just <laughs> do it online with every time every time you stream it on hbo max uh but <sighs> it's really i mean I, I, a top contender for film of the year but i think you know regardless of how the next few months play out, 
this movie's always going to be a time capsule because of how it dates itself in that sense, in a way that Stop Making Sense didn't necessarily. But I do think it's mm. going to have that kind of shelf life where it's just always going to be something that people come back to uh, as a as a security blanket or. Yeah, I have turned on just segments of it because, you know, it's a concert movie, so you can just like watch a couple songs and jump back out of it. Um, And it's so satisfying to rewatch already. Can we talk real quick about Double Vanessa Kirby and One Night Miami and a couple of other little movies? Yeah, well, I didn't go to Venice virtually like you, so I've only seen one of the Venice. Yeah, I'm a real world traveler Um, these days. Yeah, yeah, I only saw the one Pieces of a Woman, which is at TIFF. And um, I like Patches, you're the other parent. Have you heard about this movie and why maybe you shouldn't watch it? No. So I guess I'm oh, trigger warning. That, that sounds like a dead uh, baby red flag. Yeah. Uh, yeah big old bed, dead baby red flag. Uh, I mean, David, I don't know how you like, I mean, so this movie kind of very uh, now infamously has this very long, you know, seemingly single take scene of childbirth that ends really, really badly. Um, and if you have witnessed labor or wondered <laughs> it, like it, there is a lot of it that rings true. Before I mean, you it are selling really the moment. Wrong. Uh, you're understating, I think, just what that scene is. How horrible is it is. Like. <laughs> It's, it's a 30-minute shot, a sequence shot, uh, that starts with Vanessa Kirby going into labor in her home, the start of a home birth. Shia LaBeouf plays her very, 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 very Shia LaBeouf-like partner, uh, who is not comic. <laughs> does he punch comes. a wall? Yes, he does. <laughs> and um, the midwife who shows up is uh, not the one they were expecting in a, in a familiar, knocked-up-like uh, sort of events the midwife they were waiting for ended up being involved in another labor. And so there's already this sort of like element of it being destabilized and uncomfortable uh, and things spiral out of control from there. It is, um, yeah, I mean, as someone who who uh, has very recent memories of, of seeing a childbirth happen firsthand, um, fortunately that ended better than the one in the movie does. It's, it's yeah. you know, it's very harrowing. Um, I was sort of rocked to tears just, by watching the sequence, even if uh, it's not necessarily an endorsement of it. I think it's more of like a a natural uh, response at this point. And I thought the rest of the movie really let down the immediacy of that sequence in that it spirals off in a number of increasingly uninteresting directions that all kind of feel manufactured and count count each other out. But uh, hell of a way to open a movie. Yeah, it's hard to kind of like build a movie from that because it's so like visceral and like you're so relieved when it's over that you need it to do something different, but kind of the script doesn't really take it anywhere all that useful after that. Um, I I think it's worth watching for that sequence. If you can, it got picked up by Netflix. I can definitely imagine plenty of people watching that sequence and saying, nope, and turning it off. And I But I also, I just want to say that it'd be one thing if this movie was a, uh, a masterpiece that uh, I thought that no one could live without seeing. But I really, as someone who usually mm. blanches at the idea of like trigger warnings or anything like that, just as a friendly piece of advice, if you... Um, are about to have a child in particular, if you are no, pregnant not or in a relationship no, 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 no. with someone who is pregnant, do not watch this movie. And that is not no. a challenge uh, to you. It is not me dropping the gauntlet and seeing if you have the stomach to take it. It's just that you have enough to worry about, enough stresses. Um, yeah. You, you don't need this imagery rattling around in your head. Yeah, there's a whole season of Teen Mom 2 on every Tuesday at MTV. <laughs> and those babies are doing great. Uh, no problems there. Everybody's doing fine, <laughs> relatively. 
I mean, Vanessa um, Kirby did win Best Actress at Venice for this. Although it did. does seem like and her other movie probably. Yeah, I was going to say, I personally, and I feel kind of strongly about it, not that she's bad at all in Pieces of a Woman. I mean, she's doing a lot of capital A acting, but it's what the movie calls for, and she rises to the occasion. But it was not my favorite performance of hers that she gave of movies that played in Venice. The other movie, uh, The World to Come by Mona Fassfold, uh, is a, um, has been drawn some comparisons to the likes of Ammonite. Uh, the, is a period lesbian romance uh, about these. We love two, them. We so love many them, of these them. Two women in uh, the the night. It's very much of that mold. I mean, I think that people are understandably hungry for movies in that vein that take a slightly more expansive, contemporary uh, look at it. This is another movie, you know, set in the, the 19th century. In this case, 1851, I believe, and they're in upstate New York and. Uh, they're married to uh, Vanessa Kirby is married to uh, Christopher Abbott. And you know, that's not going to go well. And, uh, <laughs> and Samantha Waterston is married to uh, Casey Affleck and ditto. Although he plays uh, a more sensitive of uh, more sensitive of the two husbands. And they start a, uh, in, in the wild in the frigid cold of an upstate New York winter. Uh, they have an affair, largely epistolary, relationship there's so much letter writing it's kind of romarian in that sense so many title cards with dates but it really sneaks up on you and the end of it does something very clever that hit me uh like a wallop and uh really really moved me um and i don't know when that movie is gonna screen next it's not playing in toronto or new york but it's uh does it have a distributor no but it for me is right up there with nomadland in american utopia of the the best films of a limited uh, variety of films on the screen over the fall. Uh, highly recommend you keep an eye out for it. It's called The World to Come. Uh, another highlight, Katie, maybe you can... Let's wrap this one. up, though. Let, yeah, okay, let's, two, let's do the, touch, the final highlights. Two, two last movies. The first, One Night Miami, Regina King's directorial review. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Katie, what do you think? This is Van um, Fair down the middle. Oh, boy. Uh, no, I mean, it feels a little bit like a film play, which is exactly what it is. And it's got these four actors kind of brought together in a room um, playing four very famous people. Malcolm X, Jim Brown, uh, Sam Cooke, and who did I forget? Muhammad Ali. Um, and (laughs) maybe the, maybe the most famous, um, and is all these really talented actors. I think Ken Kingsley Benadir, who plays Malcolm X kind of really stands out the most. I mean, you know, less because, you know, Denzel Washington famously played Malcolm X in a very big movie and seeing someone play that very famous person differently is fascinating. Um, you know, I don't know that I get a strong sense of who Regina King is as a director from watching this. Like it's kind of about letting the actors do their work, but that of course is also a directorial choice. Uh, and I feel really glad that she decided to make this. Like I enjoyed spending time watching these men kind of bounce ideas off each other and fight about like, what was the way to be a famous black man in the early sixties, which as this movie proves was a really complicated prospect. So I don't think it bowled me over quite as much as some of the other movies we've been talking about, but I'm, I'm grateful at least that it introduced me to, to a lot of those actors. It end, The actors are phenomenal, and the movie ends well. I mean, really yeah, a does. perfect grace note, and that really goes along. Well, way, when it right? starts ending, like, if you know kind of anything about Sam Cooke, you're like, hmm, I think I know where this is going to go, and then it does, and you're like, okay, you are it. Uh, it does it so well. Um, and yeah. uh, just the last movie I want to touch on very quickly, and uh, there'll be time to talk about Ammonite in the future, which I think was underwhelming uh, for a group of people who were very much looking forward to it, uh, is the Cartoon Saloon movie Wolf Walkers. Cartoon Saloon is the Irish animation studio behind The Secret of Kells, which was nominated for an Oscar, and Song of the Sea a few years later. Uh, two gorgeously animated films. The Secret of Kells looks like a stained glass window in motion. Um, 
that were both about Irish folklore. They also made a movie called The Breadwinner that was not. It was set in another corner of the world, but also sort of it, rooted in a ancient tradition. But uh, They also the, made my favorite Netflix children's series, Puffin Rock, which any sure, sure, kid sure. should walk. It's beautiful. I did not know that, and that is a good tip. Um, when the time comes, you will be grateful learn. for Puffin Rock. Uh, but I, I've always felt like there was an element of unrealized potential about their films. I mean, I loved what they were doing and the movies just didn't quite come together for me. And that has changed in a big way with Wolf Walkers, which is oh, I'm so uh, excited. Is so good. I mean, it really, it, it feels like <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't say this in writing on the internet because people would mock me and with good cause, but uh, it, just in the interest of wrapping up the segment really quickly, it's like, imagine a more kid friendly princess Mononoke but Shersha Ronan is the main character um, and Sean Bean plays her mindful dad. Uh, and there's a lot of people turning into wolves, uh, but it's, uh, it, it, it's a really, really good movie. It, and it's coming out. It looks like it's, it's coming, coming to Apple. It's coming. Yeah. To it's Apple coming TV to Apple and G kids has it too. G kids so is going to be putting to... it into, and I'm using scare quotes here, theaters, theaters, uh, yeah, but sure. um, it will be available on Apple TV at the very least by the end of this year. It is far and away. I mean, we've yet to see Pixar's potentially soon to be delayed soul, uh, but it is far and away the best anime movie I've seen this year. Uh, and is well, well, keep worth keeping an eye out for good on cartoon saloon. Uh, Patches and Dave, any other questions about these films that you will see later? No, I sound Where excited. Is Toronto? <laughs> I miss Toronto. I miss real film festivals. But honestly, I'm like I'm overall happy with what I've gotten to see. So thank I am you. currently my body is split at three different film festivals right now. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a lot. Your passport's gonna work out. Uh, for this week, for the mini segment, look, I've, I'm not a tiff. I've been spending a lot of my time watching television. I've been watching Raised by Wolves. I've been watching The Boys. I just wa- plowed through uh, The Haunting of Bly Manor, which I hope we get to talk about soon. I just watched Big Mouth Season privilege. 4. I, man, I'm yeah, watching. I just saw uh, I I just saw The Devil House All the Time. Did anyone see The Devil uh-huh. All the Time on this call? Is that out already? It's coming no. out on Wednesday, this week. Wow. Uh, I've been Netflix. re-watching That's Venture Brothers and Morning. Yeah, the, I'm, I've been watching Cora for Republic City Dispatch again. With all due again. respect to Venture Brothers, wasn't that show canceled five years ago? No, it's, no it's, really? it goes away. Wild. It goes into hibernation. It comes back. Anyway, the point is, uh, watching so much right now, but actually David is going to talk about Ted Lasso, which I've not seen and no one's seen. So I guess my... I no, saw no, no, it! Saw Jesus <laughs> Christ, Patches! We will talk about the boys next week! I want to talk about Raised by Wolves, a show David would love. It's the Ridley uh, Scott all I, over again, doing the aliens. I wouldn't mind checking out uh, Raised by Wolves one of these days, anyway, especially Ted Lasso now that it's so high show. on Wolf Walkers. But, uh, we'll get, and we'll get to the boys. There are no Ted real Lasso. wolves in Raised by Wolves, unfortunately. Spoiler alert. Uh, all right, so I'm just going to get on my soapbox really quickly. Ted Lasso is one of the purest shots of adrenaline and joy. Not adrenaline. It's the wrong word to describe Ted Lasso. But the purest <laughs> shot of joy that I have gotten from uh, any piece of entertainment in 
the last couple of months since this hell started. Uh, it seemed like something I wouldn't enjoy. It is based apparently, not that I would know, on like a series of commercials where Jason Sudeikis plays a Midwestern football coach named Ted Lasso. Uh, completely, I'm completely oblivious to that stuff. Um, and uh, it is now an Apple TV show uh, about a Midwestern football coach who is in a major league style twist. Uh, hired to run a English soccer club, a sport that he knows nothing about in the country. He is very much a fish out of water in uh, because the woman who now owns the team uh, has just gotten a bitter divorce from a very rich husband and wants to destroy the team out of spite for him. It is uh, very, very Paddington-esque. It is full of warmth and charm. Uh, It is just like, it is very much a big Paddington energy. Everyone is sweet. Nice score with a capital N and a hashtag. Uh, it's just delightful, and it's a huge, huge reminder of why um, the binge mode style release is not right for every show. They have been releasing this uh, on an episode-by-episode episode basis every Friday night on Apple TV, and it has become, in these times when we're all having difficulty keeping up with what day it is, uh, a really rewarding ritual at the end of the week for my wife and I. Every Friday night, after we put Ace to bed, We'll pop on the new episode of Ted Lasso. They're only getting better and better. The seventh and most recent episode was a trying to think of the soccer appropriate term. They have hat tricks in soccer. Uh, it was uh, for a show that that exists in gentlemen's time. This was like a seven nothing blowout. It was great. I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, but it's truly a wonderful, rewarding show. Sadiq's is great. The rest of the cast phenomenal. Juno Temple plays uh, sort of. Femme fatale. I don't know what that to describe her character. She's a, like a model uh, who is always around in helping it become sort of a workplace sitcom kind of thing. Uh, it's just uh, like an utter delight. Katie, you saw the pilot. It only gets better. One episode. Did it resonate with you? I liked it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, yeah. It's like Ted Lasso is this like guy who's like seems like kind of a dumb American, and then they turn they like help him turn into a real human being, and he's got kind of this like fish out of water comedy. Like, I mean, and uh, watching a pilot of a sitcom where you're just like, oh, okay, I see all the pieces that are going to come into play. There's something kind of satisfying about watching the machinery go to work. So, um, I, I I buy in. Thank you. Like a Paddington too, it only becomes richer and, and funnier once the characters are established and they all have their little bits that come back and uh, you know, pay off like clockwork. Um, but uh, if I can do anything, uh, anything gets through to you from all my relentless prattling on this podcast in the, for, for now anyway, it should be to go check out Ted Lasso on Apple TV. Give it a few episodes. It will make your life slightly brighter, I hope, or the, uh, your time and money back. I have that power. Invert your expectations. Tenet did not do well in theaters. What does that mean? <laughs> we are going to talk about it here in segment three of Fighting in the War Room. <laughs> so we're two weekends into Tenet being out uh, in the U.S. Still no theaters in L.A. Kind of, well, more like two and a half, right? Because it kind of slowly emerged. Did it come out on a Wednesday? It had, well, it had previews, I mean, and then it kind of came out on a Monday, and then more theaters. On a, it just kind of appeared. So, But apparently uh, Warner Brothers is not giving out daily box office takes on this one. Just weekend takes. So uh, this week brought us our second weekend take of data 
and it's not great. It's like uh, $20 million total uh, over two weeks, about thereabouts in the U.S., and uh, just crossing $200 million worldwide, which is not uh, what people need uh, to go back to theaters. It's not what WB needs for a tenant. It's a real but it is doing much better. It's doing much better internationally than it's doing here. Just it like uh, other countries are doing so much better handling the coronavirus than we are. At mm, all, that's though. true. But it, from what I could tell, it's not going to come anywhere close to replacing the gap uh, of the U.S. theatrical uh, market that I can tell, at least from the things that I've been reading. There's lots of different interesting ways to look at this data. I think uh, one of the more interesting ones is I, um, that theaters that have managed to open and do have movies are probably not taking in enough per weekend to uh, pay rent on top of the rental fees uh, to actually play these movies in closed environments. So uh, this might actually be pushing some theaters uh, towards go closing down permanently if uh, they can't keep up with their rents. At least one theater here in Colorado, an independent theater, has gone up for sale uh, in the past month and a half. Uh, is that... Are we, are we would that, looking... Would that theater have been showing Tenet anyway? Um, I don't think that theater would have been showing Tenet, but it was a rent-based dispute because uh, the insurance didn't cover some renovations they did pre-virus mm. and then needed that money. So it ended up being rent that did them in and just being unable to uh, to bring any cash in during a period of time. Yeah, I mean, we're all we're all torn right between the relief that not enough people went to Tenna and also like the fear that that means the end of theatrical exhibition. I would apparently. I would have more relief if people weren't exposing themselves to the coronavirus in so many other dumber ways at the same time. But mm. yes, I don't know. Like, like I, I don't I don't know if going to a movie is less dumb than um, some of the other. No, but like with got. the South Dakota motorcycle rally and shit like that happening. Sure, yeah, that was pretty dumb. That is shaped about the idea of someone being in an AMC somewhere. But I take your point. But I mean, we now we know to set the bar above Smash Mouth fan for everyday <laughs> theater going. So at least we're learning where that bar is in terms of you know trustability in these times. But it is. Um, David, I saw a, a, a tweet you made this week about people on Reddit watching Tenet versus you watching Tenet. Um, I know you've seen it. Have you have you seen rampant piracy? No, I didn't mean them like they're watching it on Reddit somehow. I just mean that like the way the the redditor mind works. Uh, oh, is, it was is... all based. It was not based around a piracy fear. No, it was just about like the way that a Dave Seven would watch a movie like Tenet and try to solve it, whereas I'm just like, what is like letting it Ooh, watch? Are you over calling me. Dave a redditor? That's like that's I, I think redditor right should now. aspire to be like Dave, but I will say that I have been uh, from what limited time I've spent on Tenet Reddit world, kind of just impressed by the sheer nerdery and work that they've put into organizing the movies plot with graphs and charts and things like that. I mean, all of which um, makes me colder and colder on the movie because I think to a certain, you know, at a certain point, any movie that requires a fucking PhD and a, a map to understand just the very basics of what happened in it 
is probably not a movie that is very well told. Um, if it's meant to add up in the way that Tenet is, uh, I think there is Nolan is finally and for the first time in a way that bothered me guilty of a kind of um, Westworldization, the same infection that his brother, unfortunately. Uh, got very sick Fall into the same family um, curse. Yeah, I mean, I will always hold Westworld season two as the nadir of, uh, you know, puzzle box <laughs> storytelling and the stupid fucking stunt they pulled before the season premiere, which really just, uh, which really just exposed the way that they were thinking about the story they were telling. I think Tenet is guilty of that. But yeah, that, that's to answer your question, Dave. It was had nothing to do with piracy. I have not, in whatever limited capacity I'm aware of, what is then, it is not being I guess I'll try to I'll try to get the same issue through another side thing. If this was like Mad Max Fury Road, would we be uh, like trying to tell WB to like let up and let more drive-ins have it, which is something they have been doing mm. with Tenet, where initially they were like, "No, we want to put you to theaters." If this was a movie that was worth encouraging people to see safely. Would mm-hmm. there be more of a push from like well, the fan communities? Is your question is your question partially like if the movie were better yes. and had been better received? Yeah. Would it be? I, I a think like story? we've seen a, a couple of test cases of how to deal with things either through VOD or theatrically. Your Mulans or your Tenets or your uh, Bill and Ted's face the musics or your you know uh, what what at Palm Springs is. And <laughs> I was waiting for your plurals to get way more complicated. Yeah. And uh, I think um, none of those have been uh, like a huge blockbuster that I would say is like, you need to see this movie, uh, meet it where it's, you know, meet it where it's at. This is like worth making time for all of my like positive reviews, even for those movies, uh, the comedies specifically, were just like, this is what we need right now considering we're all trapped at home like is there does any movie feel that way does any movie mean that i'm like trying to think of what would tug me like that yeah well that's not mad max fury road i think is a great example or i mean avengers endgame i mean if this was endgame yeah if this was endgame we'd be like there is no coronavirus everybody into the theater but but wouldn't it be so I mean, it was already more. I'm not saying it would be good. Sticky, I'm just yeah, <laughs> right. It was already a little sticky. I mean, Christopher Nolan, in, in trying to do right by movie theaters, may have, as Dave was establishing at the start of the segment, done more harm than good because theaters reopened uh, and incurred greater costs than they were when they were sort of uh, in limbo, and now may close as a result. And this may have all backfired. But you know, if if the movie, I, we were all sort of prepared before Tenet came out to for the situation of like, if we saw it and if we thought that it was great, like would there be blood on our hands for uh, increasing the hype around the movie and encouraging people to go see it even implicitly um, and not explicitly? Maybe. I mean, I think it actually made things easier for people in our line of work anyway, that Tenet wasn't necessarily worth risking your life for um, so much as any movie could be. Just our line of work for people who love going to the movies. Like I feel this way. I have not, I have not, trekked to a different state to go see tenant i have not I, I thought i would too i thought i'd be like i'm gonna be dying to go to the movies and nothing about tenant is, is drawing me in i'm just, i'm shocked that i i don't really i'm not feeling fomo yeah like yeah, i mean neither i i don't feel like theaters are safe from what i've been reading they might not be safe for like a year that being said where did you read that Isn't can i pause like on that a... because i see i've been seeing this misreport 
of Fauci comments. He, he was interviewed by Jennifer Garner. Yeah, I actually and to out a lot of people pass this around as like theaters won't be are not going to be safe for a year. Um, and people picked it up as movie theaters, but she was talking about live theater like Broadway. Yes. So I found the misreporting of this to be quite depressing what's um, the difference i mean see the thing is i the article that i read said that it was an interview stage, in jennifer no garner and talking about theaters uh which is actually less of a spreading vector because it's less of a have your popcorn and drink while sitting mm. with the group but there so, are actors no, on stage shouting at you that right yeah true. but like you get like into, imagine like, if you were seeing seats. hamilton and uh all the spit was just Spewing out of is there more the spit in mouth. Hamilton than in most? Oh yeah, I don't know, but if you have to get, Hamilton, I'm glad I saw that on Hamilton. Disney Plus. If, I mean, if you, you have get to get coronavirus, it better be a Hamilton. It worse people to get it from than the cast of Hamilton. Yeah, but also like it's on Disney Plus, you idiot! Like don't go get. All right, sidebar, sidebar Hamilton. for this segment. Yeah, yeah. Which play would you want to get coronavirus from? <laughs> what would it be worth? I would have, I would have happily gotten coronavirus from David Byrne, but uh, now yeah. I won't have to. Uh, yeah, see? Just more wave of the future is all these filmed plays. Anyway, uh, I feel like Fauci is probably right that movie theaters are not going to be... Yeah, well, they're not going to be... Uh, well, uh, even if it's look. like not our year. The point is I was trying to get to there is like you yeah. and I feel the itch of a lifelong obsession that Black Widow is still on November 6th. Like, what the fuck am I going to do? I'll find a drive-in, I guess. Like, yeah. that's the only thing that I could do to feel feel safe about myself. Or you can... You can pal up with your bubble and rent out a theater it seems very accessible now in a strange way if, if you don't mind paying kind of the premium cost of disney plus premiere if you're paying 30 bucks already to see mulan and if you do 50 bucks and you take three people you're in your bubble with you probably could rent a theater and see these movies like maybe that's extreme but that's true i mean that would also mean widening my bubble beyond my girlfriend who doesn't care about black widow but we'd get we'd get there but I, I don't should get know all the parents why. in my daycare who like our kids are like exposing the germs to each other. I just be like, all right, guys, we're all going yeah, to Black Widow. I don't know many of you. Trip. I don't think you care. We're bringing the kids. All going to Black. He's going to be a day daycare of Black Widow. All their families are essentially in your pod now. But yeah, I know. I, I don't now know they all have why to see Black the theater chains aren't making a bigger deal about the offer to privately rent out their theaters. I mean, because it doesn't seem like that, a good deal for them. I was thinking about this. But, after no, but I think that they need to. They need to. Listen, when I mentioned that I'd seen Tenet in the theater, well, I didn't pay anything for but that someone had rented for $150. There were like, charges. Well, I mentioned that I'd seen it in a private theater before there, the price was involved. And there were charges of elitism and check your privilege. And people didn't know that it only cost $150, which is still a shit ton of money for a lot of people for anything, let alone a movie. But when you divide it into fractions and fractions and fractions of the more people you bring, it soon becomes cheaper than the cost of an average movie ticket, which is... Uh, pretty good yeah. deal but i think that there is probably a middle ground that theaters could find you know for people who are comfortable with their friends anyway um to raise the prices a little bit and uh make this sort of the main attraction for the time being and say that you know we're only doing these private screenings and it's going to cost x amount and you can still make it cheaper than the price of a movie ticket if you bring enough people um you know eventually you get into sticky territory there as well where you're encouraging people who can't afford to pay more money to be in riskier situations but whatever this is i, I think that there's it's a way for theaters to remain safer especially if you can only open 25 percent capacity like you right. can fill that with a bubbled family, extended family or something pretty easily, I'm sure. Yeah. 
I mean, it does seem like like the tenant thing, maybe they were holding out hope that they could make it work in a regular format. And now that that has kind of like kind of objectively failed, maybe that's what they're going to turn to more. I mean, that's the other problem. Maybe they can't do a lot of the rentals because the studios don't want them to do that. Like you can't yeah. make the money tenant needs I to mean, make by doing well. And like, and what are they going to be releasing that you can go rent to see? Like, right. you know, a lot of places have been doing like, you know, the drive-ins near me because theaters still aren't allowed to be open at all. So no new, like tenant isn't playing at drive-ins here. Um, so the drive-ins are playing like Bill and Ted and like old stuff. Um, so you can do that. But then like the, the appeal, I think it's a lot less. So I think that studios wouldn't be releasing the movies at all if the only option to see them in theaters were to rent out the theaters privately. But for the time being, anyway, at a Cinemark, you can choose from literally any movie they have a DCP for. So uh, it could have been Tenet. Awesome. We could have seen fucking Unhinged. Mamma Mia. Uh, you know, Mama it doesn't Mia really matter to them. Mamma Mia. Well, I don't know if they still have that one in the vaults, but uh, they may have burned all the files. But the <laughs> the option is Rude. there. Um, it, it just if that became the only way to do it, would WB go forward with releasing Dune? Probably not. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Dune's Dune's of that scale. We were talking about on an earlier episode. They're like tenets, just kind of of the scale of movie where they were going to try to release it in theaters. Regardless, like even if it wasn't, you know, the movie we were hanging our hopes on, uh, like James Bond, uh, it kind of doesn't have value outside of theaters in terms of like big action movies. You spend hundreds of millions of dollars on these movies so they could go to theaters. So you have all these yeah movies in limbo now where uh, now we know how much they lose if they go to theaters. I don't know what the math is on something like Mulan uh and how much that's going to be trustable considering the other myriad of problems uh with optics Mulan has uh but yeah i just it's it's tough to see a way through here that isn't everybody agreeing to lose a ton of money for public safety which seems like something we're not willing to do in america which means i don't know what the next fucking step is i mean it's interesting how right. about bond oh sorry I just forgot about Bond being one of the big ones we're waiting on. Yeah, Bond is the next next movie that I would, you know, theoretically save up cash for and rent out a theater if it were still at that price. I feel like that movie's definitely coming out in theaters. And I'm not sure exactly why, if it has to do with the international rollout yeah. but like it's what i was gonna say is that it's interesting how each studio seems to be on a in a different lane in all this warner brothers they just moved uh wonder woman to december but dune is still like two weeks ahead you know emailing wb that day of and they're like nope we're de- that's right that's correct we're actually putting out two blockbusters in the like basically the same holiday window that's we think it's rid- possible ridiculous. Um, and they're, they're, moving they're forward never for gonna do that i just i think it's fascinating that wb is is willing to be the experimenter and i don't know why because then i have you know a, a studio will have to remain nameless talking to them and like, when are your next movies coming out? Because uh, we're trying to plan things over at Polygon. And it's like, we, we're just watching. We're watching Tenet come yeah. out and we're not doing anything. And don't expect a movie for, of ours to come out for the rest of the year, potentially. And it's like, wow, yeah, they don't know. No one knows what's going on. And for some it's reason, just... Tenet and WB are allowed to be the ones who are just like barreling forward. Well, they chose to be. But yeah. then Disney, of course, becomes... Disney's the biggest thing on the planet. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the SVOD stuff. And they're, I, yeah. Well, they have a much better SVOD option than Warner Brothers does. Uh, but I don't sure. think – I don't think well, two things. One, I don't think that any of these changes are going to influence any sort of permanent habits in the way that people 
like to speculate that they will. I think that if everything was just on ice theatrically for the next nine months, the next time that Disney had a blockbuster, they wanted to put well, unless into theaters, theaters are only affected themselves. Uh, well, that it's is that is obviously behavior. that is obviously understood. But I'm just talking about like a consumer behavior point of view. Uh, they would just be like, oh, okay, well, there's now cachet of this movie that is only in theaters, and we're back to that now. I think it would be fine. But I do think all these conversations do inevitably stem from a general American fucked up philosophy of how uh, the government should spend its money. And it's like, it's so much easier if you're living in a country like France, where they're agreeing to pay something like 80% of people's salaries for however many months to come. You can just sort of put life on hold and everyone can exist in this limbo where people are going to be safe and the virus will pass in a timelier fashion. And the industries that you love are not going to be, uh, you know, hanging in the balance in the, in the time in between. Um, but because America has this real opportunist doggy dog uh, way of, of being where we think it's like, you know, inherently un-American to give a shit about other people. Maybe these movie theaters aren't working hard enough. They really deserve it. Right, exactly. Money, you know? um, oh, boy. Yeah, I mean, meanwhile, spend, I mean, we can go on a whole political jag about this and where the American government is spending uh, trillions of dollars, but uh, we, and not the arts. But, uh, but yes, I do think that all these conversations trickle down from a really toxic pool uh, above us that um, you know, we have to acknowledge to have any of them because I don't think these things can necessarily be solved uh, with the system being what it is. Trickle down. Hmm. What if that was an mm, no, mm, economic mm, Yes, that definitely that's happens. The only, that's definitely the only thing that, down. yeah. This is the only case in which they do actually trickle down uh, and not just cause <laughs> massive recessions and economic inequality. Thanks, Reagan. <laughs> where's, where's my boy, uh, what's his name? Robert Frost. He's got to be Robert Frost. Yeah, he's melting right now. So what? What? What does happen if everyone goes the way of Nameless Studio and just lets Warner Brothers teeter out there and Disney goes full VOD? Like theaters? Do we lose like a quarter of all American theaters or some shit like that? Probably. Oh, yeah. Probably. There's too many Mm. months between here and the end of the year to not have tent poles and for tent poles to be performing like Tenet is now. It's just a financial yeah. impossibility i mean amc was bleeding out in yep. may and yeah. the by financial reports from q2 were just staggering and it's not better i mean we're really no movies coming out until bond hopefully um i mean i think at a certain point you do need a, a government bailout of some kind um i know that uh you know movie theaters aren't airlines um but i think it's better gonna be, they are better uh, and there's going to be a lot of egg on your... I mean, airlines could be argued to be a sort of flying movie theaters at times these days. But uh, mm. I think that, ooh, especially like Delta, man, they have all those new Japanese films. You can check out like the new Coriata movie before it even opens in the States. It rules pretty hard. Uh, but um, also there's a Japanese rom-com called I Want to Eat Your Pancreas that uh, it just delights me every time I see the poster for. Apparently it's a very sweet movie that is not about cannibalism at all. Uh, but they may want to rethink that title. Be that as it may, uh, I do think that we're heading towards a situation where it's possible that the movie industry is still on its feet and, I don't know about thriving, but certainly existing in every other industrialized country in the world. And in America, it's just cratered. And the studios are going to have to figure out what the fuck to do with that. Because there's certainly, you know, it seems the way things are going. England is actually having a bit of a setback right now. They just instituted that rule of... Uh, not being able to have gatherings larger than six people, but they were doing better than we were. And uh, Bond is such a British institution. 
and is always released a, a couple of weeks earlier in the UK. I mean, it's easy to imagine a scenario where a place like Gangbusters there and doesn't come out here at all. And uh, who knows? Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting, and I guess not. I guess this just goes back to a very dark period in my life where I was a Godzilla fan, and there was a whole series of Godzilla movies that just did weren't released on home video. And the rest of the world got to live a whole generation of Godzilla that I had to catch up on once I got to college, because the American movie system didn't value importing Godzilla movies. That could yeah, be like that could be uh, all movies. Anime or something. I'm going to be ordering $300 VHS versions of Black Widow offline. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm going to get my, my my Black Widow version with my dub that I got off of Reddit. You know, that is my fandom dub, so I know how it works. And yeah, oh that's God. how I'm going to have to watch my Marvel movies. Maybe this is better. This well, sounds exciting. There's a there is a positive <laughs> side where it's like this could be the straw that breaks the, you know, like white male uh, United States centric dominance of blockbuster movie making. Yeah, if all, David if all wished. The... David wished for no more Marvel movies, and this happened. It's, it's mm. like it's like mm. my own personal version of the Harold Ramis bedazzled. Not the original Bedazzle. Um, like, this is me being like, I wish that I didn't have to review Marvel movies anymore. And Elizabeth Hurley in a bikini for some reason was just like, okay. They had yeah. to. Now we all have to live in my hell. I'm very sorry. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's a positive. Yeah, there's the only positive thing I think would be like some more uh, emergence of like independent voices in the American market. But I don't know. Let's like, We could all go back to like 90, the early 90s. Plus it's the Mandalorian. Like, plus we'll the Mandalorian. We'll still have the Mandalorian. Well, we'll still have everything that's streaming. Uh, Not only will we have everything that's streaming, we'll have everything that can be shot against like a TV screen. I'm I'm fascinated by ILM just announced that they're building a kind of uh, Unreal competitor. You know, the they, Mandalorian used Unreal Engine to to shoot essentially rear projection right you can be in a volume and you can have amazing landscapes and no one has to be there you just, and you don't have to go anywhere you can just shoot you could literally shoot in quarantine shoot mandalorian basically and now ilm is doing this it's like the ch- the pipeline is changing and all the blockbusters are going to be on streaming service because they're going to cost nothing and we're no more movies so i mean for sky captain in the world of tomorrow too Jude Law could make that by himself now. He just needs one of those backdrops. Isn't that what we're all waiting for? Yeah, what's Jude Law working on? What's his quarantine? Uh, Isn't like Chris Evans' penis the new movies? So, can Uh, we end on this note? mm. I did not get to see Chris Evans' penis. What's the deal with Chris Evans' penis? Where did it? It was off the internet. It was on the internet. Yeah, I kind of caught up on it when everyone was like, oh, I found out what the Chris Evans hashtag is, but never got to. But the actual thing. Who was. needs Marvel movies when Chris Evans is tweeting out his penis? Java was, was like, better than most yeah. of them. Java was like, Chris Evans' penis is trending, and I'm like, it's the weekend. I don't need to care about this right now. <laughs> well, Chris Evans I don't need this tweeted, shit until Monday. Yes. Chris Evans tweeted, now that I have your attention, vote. Yeah. So it was Although, only a shadow operation to uh, get out the vote. He I, just, I wish he had said, he said vote November 3rd, and I wish he had said uh, something vote whenever possible. Yes, but you know what? Beggars can't be choosers. I'm glad that he's uh, making lemonade out of penis or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Man. <laughs> milk, milk, lemonade. Yeah, do, yep. do vote. Do vote. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's how we're ending that. That's how we're ending that segment. <laughs> 
That does it for this week's show. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, senior editor at Polygon, and I'm on Twitter still at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to the episodes. You can hear them on Spotify now. Maybe I should make that my thing. You can go on Spotify. Everyone is using Spotify these days. But you can also listen onto your web browser on fightinginthewarroom.com. Uh, I am David Ehrlich. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, David Ehrlich, and on IndieWire, writing about reviewing so many of these TIFF and Venice and soon New York Film Festival movies. If you want deeper dives, feel free to read about them there. Uh, you can find all of us together on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room. Please do leave us a review. We will read them one by one on the show, live on the show, uh, but hopefully not so many at once that we anger Bert 288. It's very important to me, <laughs> to us, and to our families. I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can also hear me on the Lo- the Storm, a Lost Rewatch podcast. We're getting to the end of season three, which means uh, we have to go back. That's that's how season three t- demands of you. Uh, I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at VanityFair.com and on the Little Gold Men podcast, where, among other things, I talked to Devon Franklin, one of the Academy governors who made all those new changes at the Academy from last week. Remember those? Um, so that was fun. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H. And we're all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where I would specifically love to hear from anyone who has watched Puffin Rock. But you can also answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of Candyman being the newest film to vacate 2020, what movie still on the books is next to ditch a 2020 theatrical run for VOD or 2021? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. <laughs>